We've been in a series in the book of Luke, and today we start one of Jesus's most famous teachings, and we get uh, in Luke, it is called the Sermon on the Plain, and Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, but scholars believe Jesus, this is a, a portion of teaching that Jesus would constantly repeat and teach to his disciples at different times and places to expound on the law and explain uh, what this new, this new wine and new wineskins that we talked about a few weeks ago was and how it was going to relate to the, to the new thing that Jesus was doing, and a lot of people didn't like it. And they came at Jesus. But there were some, his disciples, that he chose 12 to be with him, one who would betray him. And after he does that, he... He comes down from the mountain, sits on the plain, and begins to expound to the disciples. But in the crowd here, there's lots of different people. There are disciples. There are people that are just looking curious. There are people, part of the crowd, just from all over the place that have come to see and to hear who is this that they've heard of Jesus. Today's sermon is Blessings and Woes. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 26. Have you ever met somebody, a powerful person, somebody in a, 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 a high place, maybe a, a CEO of a corporation or the mayor or just somebody that had a lot of money that was incredibly wealthy and you really enjoyed, surprisingly, your time with them. You had a normal conversation and when you go and you talk to somebody else and you say, oh, I, and they talk about the person, you say, oh, I met that person. They're really down to earth. Have you ever said that before? Why do we have that saying? We have that saying because what we assume from people with vast amounts of money and with vast amounts of power is that they are jerks. I had a couple of other words I was gonna say and I had to cycle to the fourth one before I could, yeah, this is appropriate for church right now. It's because we assume that people that get to the certain status or level that they are too arrogant for the peasants in the room. And so when we meet somebody that is actually pretty cool, we think, wow, they're down to earth. They're, they're a normal person, just like me and you. See, the archetype of what we believe a normal person should be is the opposite of what we have experienced the powerful, the wealthy of the world to be. And so when we meet someone who's normal, we think, wow, that's different, that's good. See, the truth that we are exploring in scripture, and that is a theme that constantly hits us, is that the better we do on earth, the harder, not impossible, but the harder it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a theme all throughout Luke. It is a theme that Jesus has with people that he speaks to, that parables that he has is a theme in the teaching that we're going to see today. And so let's read from Luke chapter six, verses 17 to 26 together. We're gonna be reading from the ESV today. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon 
who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, as disciples of Jesus, we have to learn not to live for the present. We have to learn not to live for the present. This is a hard lesson because everything that we are taught, everything that we are told to aim for is to have a better life now. Even if it looks towards retirement, it is do all that you can now so that you can enjoy the fruit of your labor on the earth. And what do we do? We claw for status. We claw for fame and wealth because we think it is an indication of our value. That what I have accumulated around me, what I have on me, my chains, my clothes, my sneakers, sorry, sneakerheads, all these things. This, this is what we live for. That if I am comfortable in the present, if I look good, if people think good of me, if people speak well of me, and all is well in the world. And we clamor for this. We chase after it. The world teaches us to be in constant search of wealth, happiness, and affirmation. I can only mute so many people on Instagram, but yet it still keeps coming. I can only say so many times in my search, not interested in garbage, but yet it still keeps coming because the world shoves this down our throat day in and day out that your wealth, your status, your title, it is what you should long for because how well you present yourself in present, how much you have now, is the sum accumulation of who you are as a person. And we look at people who don't have and we think less of them and we look at people who have and we want to be them. 
because this is how the world has taught us to live. And Jesus here points out how fleeting that is. He says, you may be rich now, full now, laughing now, meaning he says now. I love that word now. You ever, ever somebody get mad at you or, or people are laughing at you and you're like, you laughing now. <laughs> Just wait. I don't know what's coming. I don't know how many moments I had that like, you ain't going to be looking one day. You can catch these hands and you're not going to see what's coming. <laughs> and Jesus is saying that to them right now. He's like, you laughing now. <laughs> you fool now. You rich right now. Vanity, vanity, anybody. Ecclesiastes. It's chasing the wind. It is not promised in the future. In fact, we know it is not going to be there in the future. Because it may be a present state, but it is not a forever state. And so often we put our present state as what our security in the future looks like. And we forget the words of Jesus. That just because we may look all together, have it all together, and have everything now does not mean it is a promised state forever. The prophets of old were hated. They were despised. They were rejected, and they were killed. But yeah, look at them in heaven. Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain, who stands next to him? Moses and Elijah. You read the life of Elijah, that was one depressed, poor, homeless man. Terrible life. Some of these prophets, one was sawn in two. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. David, the manic depressive prophet. And what happened? Jesus says, that's your company, that's good company. These are the ones you want to be like. See, Jesus was on that same path. He had just been attacked by the crowd, and, and the, the crowd, after they left him, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, they looked at how they would destroy him. That's how they left the last scenario, after what he did on the Sabbath was too much, healing the leper. He had gone too far at that point, and they started plotting how they were going to destroy him. Jesus says, when the world looks at you like this, when you are dejected, you when you are rejected, when you don't have all the things that the world has, you will find yourself in good company. For the prophets are there. They don't know this yet, but Jesus is there. The apostles will be there where Paul will say, we are as fools to the world. They look at us and think, how dumb. These people are who have given their life away when they could have had anything. Walking the path of Jesus often means walking this path as well, 
being outsiders, being rejected, walking in hardship of the world. It means a present reality of suffering, of hardship, of sacrifice, but a future reality of glory. Do you understand that? See, hardship, poverty, a hard life are not indications of doing it wrong, Christians. They are not indications that you have been living the wrong life. I don't know how many times I've come to God and said, God, am I doing something wrong? And God has had to remind me, Justin, you are looking at the wrong fruit of your life. Stay where you are. I think, what about Susie and Brad and all these other people and what they will say and what they are doing? They seem to be doing it and getting it and doing everything for God and having everything of the world as well. What about them? Don't worry about them. See, as disciples, one of the most important lessons that we will learn is that we cannot live for a present reality of fullness, of having. And it's hard to comprehend. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are when people hate you. Blessed are the ones who weep. This does not, when we think of blessing, we think of all the things that are opposite to what Jesus is woeing. When I think of blessing, American friends, I think of money and power. When I think of blessing, I think of all the things on my prayer list that God has given me. When I think of blessing, I think of all the materials I have in my pockets, on my feet, on my back, and in my bank account. When I think of blessing, come on, that truck knows it's true. When I think of blessing, And that's why I get mad sometimes because I look at the rich and the famous and the powerful and I ask, God, why do you give them everything? The unrighteous. Blessed is the poor. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed when you are hated. God is asking whose blessing is upon them. Woe to the rich. Woe to the full. Woe to the ones who laugh. Woe to the one who thinks well of. We have to get out of this worldly mindset that what we live for is present fullness, present worldly blessing. When we think of blessing, we have to change the definition. The blessing of God, first and foremost, is his present reality in our lives and his future salvation for us faithfully, always to the ends of the age. And so when I look at God and I say, I am not blessed, God looks at me and thinks, who is this man think he is? He is not blessed. Has my son not died for him? Has my blood not covered him? 
Has my spirit not entered into him? Have I not made my dwelling place in him? How can he call himself not blessed? How? See, the thing is, earthly poverty, whether physical or spiritual, has a lot to offer, and we often overlook this. First of all, it means we live within the bounds of Jesus's mission, of who Jesus said he was coming to set free. As we read before in Luke chapter four, verse 18, he said, Jesus, when he stood up, the first declaration from Jesus of who he was says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the what? To the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, if it means that I am within your mission, make me that. That I would be met by you. See, Jesus points out the advantage of spiritual poverty in this. It's a bit more subtle in Luke, and Matthew gets at the spiritual essence of it when he goes over the blessings, the Beatitudes, because Matthew says this. He says, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. Don't go to your job and think everybody hates me and I'm blessed when you ain't doing your job. That's not what the Bible is talking about. That's not being persecuted for righteousness sake. You laugh, but I hear that. They ain't even know you a Christian at your job. They ain't persecuting you because of that. Last person that got mad at you, you cursed them out. You ashamed to say you're a Christian now. All right, I'm going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> to realize your lowly state spiritually is to look at the only God who can revive it. When you are rich in spiritualism, you will be poor in God. When you are rich in seances, you will be poor in God. When you are rich in crystals, you will be poor in God. When you are rich in the stars and the galaxy, you will be poor in God. When you are rich in incense, you will be poor in God. Because your spirituality has already been fulfilled. You are full. There is no hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is no hunger and thirst for the only one who can truly save you. You have figured it out. When we come before God, we come only with one spiritual posture, and that is poverty. I am empty, and I need you and you alone to fill me. I want to drink from the well that will satisfy. Jesus points out the advantage of physical poverty. Most of the people Jesus was ministering to in this crowd was extremely poor. Luke emphasizes this physical state of the poor. He does this constantly in his gospel, and it's on purpose. The poor, the hungry, the grieving of injustice. Why is this important? Because poverty forces you to look outside your current circumstances 
and means for help. Poverty does not mix up who your provider is. You ever not know where something is coming from? Your rent check, your bill, your mortgage, whatever. What do you go and you say? When it comes in, you don't say, wow, look at what I did today. You say, thank you, Jesus. I didn't know how I was going to get by this week. I didn't know how I was getting my groceries. I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. I did not know. And oftentimes we look down at this state because the world does. But Jesus says we have a lot to learn from it. It will make you break a hole in a ceiling to be lowered down to be healed. It will make you press through the crowd because you have spent all that you had on every single person that would say they would heal you, but they could not so that all that you could do was touch the hem of his garments. Because word had gone out, that power flowed from it. It will make you do crazy things to be in the presence of God, like pray and read your Bible every day. It will make you do outlandish things, like be with the church body every week. It will make you do crazy things, like set aside time to be with God because you know he is your only sustenance. When your riches come from the world and from your job and from your bank account, well, then Jesus is an option to your sustenance. Jesus is an option to your satisfaction. Jesus is an option, a dessert, a cherry, a plate that we can say, mm-mm, this buffet look good. Maybe I'll have some Jesus this week. Maybe I won't because I'm full. It allows you to live in a constant state of faith towards God. Do you know where Christianity is exploding in the world? Not in the West, not in Europe, not in America, not in Canada, in the global South. Because there is one remedy when all around you is broken. When you truly live in poverty and have nothing, and you cannot pick yourself up from your bootstraps. There is no way out of this life. What you are born into is what you will die in. And then people turn to Jesus because he is the only hope they have for fullness. He is the only hope they have for satisfaction. He is the only hope they have for life. The truth is, most, if not all of us here today, may consider ourselves financially poor in our mind. But I want you to hear some of these stats of the world standards. The wealth that we have in America is enormous. The median household income of $71,000 in a family, full family, places a family in the top 4% of richest people in the world. So if your household income is around 70,000, a little bit lower, a little bit higher, you are in the top 4% of richest people in the world. 
as an individual, not including your whole household, if you make $60,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1%. You are a one percenter. All those people you were protesting a few years ago in Zuccotti Park, you were protesting yourself. You are in the top 1% of wealth in the world. If you make $41,000 or more as an individual, you are in the top 3% of the world. The median income of the world, worldwide, are you ready for this, is $850 a year. A year. How can we live into this lifestyle of complete dependence spiritually and financially on God given our overabundance of wealth? I think about this often. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, it feels impossible in America to live out true Christianity, the way of Jesus. But there's good news. <laughs> this is how we do it, church. God and his kingdom has to be the ultimate storehouse. God and his kingdom has to be the ultimate storehouse. We have to say that to ourselves. God and his kingdom have to be the ultimate storehouse. It has to. We can't put it anywhere else. See, the question, can you serve God and have wealth? That is a question that if you are in the West, you have to grapple with if you are honest. You have to. If you are even in the, under the poverty line in America, you are still wealthy by the world's standards. You have to grapple with this. God uses the wealthy. We have to understand this. Can we serve God and have wealth? The answer is yes. Why? Because God uses the wealthy to fund his mission through the church. Three wealthy people that Jesus interacted with and brought salvation to. Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus. They were all wealthy, and the kingdom of God was open to each and every one of them. So then the question then is twofold. What do we do with our wealth, and where do we store up our treasure? Presently, what do we do with our wealth? Futurely, where do we store up our treasure? And the theme in Luke is strong. We are going to hit this at least seven, eight times before we finish the book because he keeps bringing it home. It is a central theme of the gospel and it is this, what Jesus says here, for you have received your consolation. He says, woe to you if you are rich for you have received your consolation. If wealth is your goal, if riches, comfort, satisfaction in your own self, if that is your goal, this word you have received in the Greek, it means you have received. Did you get that? It's actually a technical term, like a lawyer speak term. That payment has been paid in full. You got your receipt, mommy. 
You got your receipt, Papi. You ain't getting anything else. When you die and you go to heaven, Jesus is gonna have all the receipts at the table and he's gonna be like, uh oh, oh, paid in full. You got everything you wanted. You got all those nice things you wanted to throw around your neck and around your body and around your feet and live in and all those nice things that you, all those nice places that you want. You got it all. Let me tell you, this sometimes torments me. Because it is so easy every morning to flip that switch and grind. Grind for that bank account, grind for that business deal, grind for that retirement, grind, 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 because I want to enjoy the fruit of my labor now. But I have to remember this, and I have to remember it every day, that if my drive, if my ambition is for wealth now, then when I get to heaven, Jesus will say, it has already been paid. You don't need me to pay for you. Your blessing has already been gotten. The receipts have already been printed. There is nothing more for you to have here. Church, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You are robbing yourself of eternal reward. Some of you don't give because you are so far into credit card debt. You have stored up material goods instead of treasure in heaven. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this happen over and over again. The average American is in $30,000 of credit card debt. But we sure do look fly. Sure got that nice TV, though. Got my PS5. I don't got a PS5, but I got everything else there. <laughs> Maybe not fly clothes, all right? Some of you will question me on that one. I'll give it to you. I got one pair of nice sneakers that y'all bought me. <laughs> we couldn't even give what the poor widow gave in Scripture when she gave two pennies and Jesus said she gave more than everybody here because she gave everything she had. Because we have decided that we want more. We want nice, we want comfort. Some of you just don't walk out right now. You're feeling a little too convicted. Some of you don't give because of your savings goals. I remember when God hit me with this one. 
I was not a joyful giver for a little while. I, I will admit, I will confess my sin before you now. It's because you're storing up treasures on earth and not in heaven. I remember there was a time in my life when I had no kids and I lived in a basement with my wife. Very little rent is what I'm getting at. And I was giving 10% of my money, like I was always taught to, and I was saving 20%. I was a privilege at that time that I could do that. I miss those days. But I remember in prayer one day and reading through Matthew chapter six, God dealing with my heart. He said, Justin, you are storing up treasures here on earth because you do not trust me with your future. This is the word I got. This may not be for you, but it was for me. I did not want to give sacrificially to God's kingdom and his mission because I was too busy saving up for my future that was not promised for me. And James says this, that when we get to heaven, our riches will testify against us on that day. All the things that we have. And so I said, God, what would I do? I'm giving my 10%. And he taught me one of the greatest things as a disciple I've ever learned, to give sacrificially, not to give based off of a number. You think that widow was like, well, I only have two pennies. One penny is 50%. That's above 10%. So I guess I'm not giving any pennies. No, what did she do? She said, God, I trust you. And when those coins clinked in, they were heard in heaven and Jesus heard them. And he said, mm, everybody's given a lot of money here. There's a lot of rich people here, but this woman right here, she gave everything. She gave more than anyone here has given today. And I began to pray and God said, reverse it, give 20% and save 10%. And let me tell you that did something in my heart that prayer would have never done. Obedience is better, church. When Saul sinned before God, he sacrificed. He said, what do you want me, Samuel, to sacrifice? I'll give all the lambs, everything that we weren't supposed to take. I'll sacrifice it on the altar. And Samuel said, Saul, 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 let me tell you something. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Some of you don't give mm, because you're waiting for somebody to beg. Let me tell you, we'll never be a begging church. We'll be a discipleship-oriented church. Don't give to God out of guilt and frustration and compulsion. Give to him with a joyful heart. Because he said to. This is how we let the mission go forward. But more importantly, this is how we lean into discipleship. 
If you're uncomfortable right now, I'm so happy. If it's your first time here, ask somebody what it's like. We're not a church that wants your money. But I serve a God who wants everything. And church, I can tell you right now, the best way I have found to live into the blessings of God so that I can confidently go before him and I can hear the blessings. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the ones who weep. Blessed are the reviled is because I can say nothing I have is mine. Not my business, not my job, not my bank account, not my checkbook, not my credit cards. It's all his. And whatever he tells me to do with it, guess what? It's getting done. That is the end of the story because I've seen time and time again, he takes care of me better than I can take care of myself. He holds my future in his hands better than I can hold it in mine. He has everything I need. And everything I need is in the best things in the world. Everything I need is Jesus, his blood and his washing. And as long as I can get that every day and God's promise is fulfilled, that it cannot be snatched. I will not be snatched. I will not be snatched out of his hands. Then God, you can have it all. You can have it all. I don't care. You can have everything, God. It's all yours. I save the amount that God tells me to save. I give the amount that God get, tells me to give. I, I feed my family because God tells me to feed my family, church. You don't know I come from a long line of cheap people. And I don't need to give them. God calls me to, and so I give generously. I give, and I give, and I give, and I give. Because I have found that the best place to have my storehouse is God and his kingdom. And when I give, it is not gone it is storing up treasures in heaven. When I give him my time, it is not gone. It is storing up treasures in heaven. When I serve God, it is not for nothing. I don't care who sees it and who doesn't. I don't boast about the phone calls and the text messages and the times I spend with people because God in heaven sees and when I get to heaven, he will say, Justin, here is the crown I'm putting on your head. And everyone will see there, and that is good enough for me. Because guess what? If people see here and they say, good job, Justin. Congratulations, Justin. I know those receipts are being printed in heaven, so save them for yourself. I don't want them. Because I want Jesus to say, good job, my good and faithful servants. I want to die like Paul died and say, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. If you have not yet to learn that you are extremely poor, there is something wrong with your discipleship. That nothing you own is yours. That as a disciple... You sold all that you had and gave it to the kingdom of God 
and purchase the greatest treasure that was worth more than everything that you brought to that table that day. If you haven't learned that, learn it today. Lay down your riches and wealth and worldly hope at Jesus' feet and take up his eternal reward and blessing. The consolation is this. God will even the scales. You may be poor now. You may be hungry now. You may be weeping now. You may be hated now. But yours is the kingdom of heaven. You will be full of joy. Rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. You may be rich now. You may be laughing now. You may be full now and everyone may love you. But if your pride elevates you above God in your heart, know that this is coming, that God will humble you and pray that he humbles you before that final day. Because on that final day, I do not want to be humbled. I only want to be glorified with Christ as was promised of his church. And on that day, your riches will testify against you. There should only be one that you throw yourself at. Not at your job, not at your relationship, not at your boss, not at your bank account. It should be Jesus. Church, have you thrown yourself at Jesus? Have you laid yourself at his feet? Have you come to him naked as you entered into the world and said, nothing I own and have is worth not having you? Throw yourself at Jesus today because he is willing, he is ready, and he is accepting all who come spiritually and physically broken and poor before him. Throw yourself at him today. Throw yourself at him every morning and say, all that I have, all that I accomplish, all that I do is nothing unless I have you, Lord. It's yours. It's yours, it's yours. Stand with me as we sing. Cling to Jesus, church. It's the only way to live. It's the only way to stand before him. It's the only way to walk in the blessing of God. And I implore you today, cling to him. Give yourself to him, cling to him, throw yourself at his feet. The world may mock you. You may not have all the things that you want, all the trinkets that you've desired. You may not hit all the saving goals that you had, but blessed is the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your reward will be great. Maybe nobody congratulates you. Maybe the pastor doesn't say good job. But one day Jesus will stand before you and he will say, good job, my faithful servant. Come and receive your crowd because in my house there's many rooms and I've prepared a room for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to wash away the filth of the world that has stained our hearts that has caused us to love the things of the world, that has caused us to live in a manner that is rich now and poor for eternity. Help us to come before you physically and spiritually poor to say all that we have is yours. I own nothing in this life. That you would have it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, if you need prayer, we're going to have our prayer team on the side to pray with you. 
at any moment during worship, come and receive prayer.